Hello and welcome to Adventures in Question Answering. I'm yeah, wow. You, you, <laughs> you managed to screw that up right out of the gate. No, no, I planned it all along. I'm your host, I'm sure. uh, Mike Apps, a.k.a. Wheels, and with me as always... David McBurney, Family Master, this is episode 52, by the way. Yes, this is true. And our returning guest... Yes. Okay, so you've actually made it to 52 now. Yeah. We have, shockingly. Shockingly, well, okay, so Michael Baker, Gaiji Monogatari over here. Man in Japan. Finally, Japan. Finally, yeah. Finally you've come back. It's like, it's. I'm just going to do, do a WWE promo right here. <laughs> Finally, the man in Japan has come back to Q&A Quest. Well... Could have been a little more rock-like there. I know, but I'm also very tired. Oh, okay. <laughs> I did not get to sleep until, like... I, despite my best efforts, I did not get to sleep until, like, 5 a.m. last oh, night. Oh, God. And my voice is not up to trying that type of gargling rock voice, no. Finally! The rock! No, that's... Yeah, that's wow, you did it even worse <laughs> than I would have. Let's all just accept that we can't be the rock and and appreciate the rock for who he is. Uh, well, I am also tired as I was up late playing Undertale and Hearthstone. <clears throat> at the same that time. last one is just assumed. You don't even have to bring it up at this okay, point. Okay, all right, all right, all right. Anyway. But hey, welcome to Undertale, population two years ago. I know, I, I have it on Steam, and I still haven't actually played it yet. You should. Guess what, good. Wheels does too. <laughs> yeah, I do. I bought it two years ago. That's, that's the thing, I've only ever, I've only actually bought two games for myself on Steam, and the rest I've gotten through Secret Santas and <laughs> Employee Months oh. and other things, and I've got like 20-something games on there now. You should grab the uh, PS4 Vita version and review the Japanese localization. No, oh, I don't have a PS4 or a Vita. Ah, uh, uh, fair enough. Uh, but yeah, eventually. I I was talked into actually purchasing it with my own money back when it came out, and the soundtrack. And I recall yelling at you to do that. Yeah, and the first time I really played it was on the Vita. So, there was no, there's yeah. no fixing this. There's nothing I can do. Well, I mean, speaking of Japanese portable ports, I just finished playing um, Shanty and the Pirate's Curse on 3DS. Ooh, nice. nice. The... It doesn't have some of the more interesting ability exploits from the PC version, no. so you can't so you can't just like press left and right, back and forth about five times, and then activate a dash attack, and then manage to vault yourself to the final room of the level. <laughs> Which, if you watch any of the speed runs, you will see that being done all the time. Which is why they were absolutely useless on figuring help me figure out how to get past all four or five or seven or way too many screens worth of instant death traps in the final level. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're, we're, seriously, we're talking like one room that was 95% of all flat surfaces covered in spiky insta-death. <laughs> oh, fun. Oh, good. It was. It took me 20 tries to get through that sucker. <sighs> yeah. 
That's one thing that always weirds me out whenever I watch a speedrun. It's like I want to see someone legitimately play through the game as fast as possible, not use like every <laughs> little exploit to get to the end. As fast let me as show you. Let me show you what happens when the game gives up and dies, but somehow does not crash. Yeah. No, thank you. <laughs> but I guess some some of the games they cheese through that way would probably just be kind of boring to watch if they played through the whole thing. So. There is a part of me that's always impressed when a game manages to do something that isn't explode in response to some of the stimuli they're giving it. Yeah. Because, man. Man. Uh, (coughs) Anyway. I guess we should get on to our actual questions. Uh, or, Or we can just say... Screw that, and ask Gaijin to talk about a certain other 3DS game he's gotten to play that none of ru- the rest of us have not gotten to play. Are you gonna? Is this gonna be Metal Max again? <laughs> no. Uh, well, I know what he's talking about. Yes. Yes. It's not Metal Max, although I get the feeling we probably won't get this one either. So. I'm still waiting for Metal Max Five to happen, but until then, we can just cut that one out of the conversation for a while. <laughs> Is this going to be the Alliance Alive? Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> A.K.A. Not Saga, really. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, say no more. Uh, or more, or a little more accurately, just imagine if Final Fantasy II for, for the original Nintendo had determined the course of the entire Final Fantasy franchise instead of three. Hmm. Hmm. The kind of game that you would have gotten would be the Alliance Alive. Oh, as it, I mean, the Legend of Legacy. We can all admit had like non. It was non-zero story, but it was very much more the the atmosphere and the location more than any plot. Yeah, the Alliance Alive has plot. The Alliance Alive has a lot of plot. It has more plot than the first three Final Fantasy games put together. I've heard that it was written by, like, the Sui Koden guy. That makes a lot of sense. Hmm. So, um... Yes, you're missing out, Wheels, a lot. Oh. <laughs> Unfortunately, I'm, I've, I'm a little behind in actually beating the final boss because I got myself in a situation where I only have one battle-ready character with the basic healing spell. And I don't feel like trying to bring up the other two characters with the healing spell to a level that is able to survive the final battle. Um, So, it's been fun. Ah, Damn. Damn, damn, damn. (laughs) Uh, Well, at least we got Legend of Legacy. (laughs) Say, were you reading my comments for the JRPG July? Yep. 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 Penguins, dude. Penguins. Yeah. <sighs> I'm sorry. I'm busy sobbing. <sighs> Meanwhile, I was busy playing uh, <coughs> Paper Jam. Oh, Mario and, Mario and Luigi. Yes. It, uh, a game in that series I've neglected because um, that series kind of turned me off after the uh, the game I absolutely hated. The second one. What the heck was it called? Partners in Partners Time. Partners in Time. Yes. 
That game yeah, that game. Not launch. <laughs> yeah, no, Partners in Time is trash garbage. <laughs> but anyway, Paper Jam is not. And I it's really like it. It's pretty good. <laughs> Though I still much prefer the uh, Paper Mario series. Mario and Luigi is one of those things that, like, it, it feels like it has spent four games trying to find another gimmick that it wants to commit to and has never found one. <laughs> What a what a frustrating series. I never tried any of them, but Bowser's inside story just kind of tempted me just because it was so ridiculous. I played it. Like I know a lot of people that really like Bowser's inside story and it didn't it didn't do much for me. But it was it was a nice idea. It just wasn't my time. That and whoever actually chooses the English titles for these games is doing a really good job because I can yeah. tell you the Japanese titles are not nearly as funny or as punny as the English ones <laughs> yeah I remember it's, it's just like it's just like Mario and Luigi RPG 3 like Bowser something or other it's, it's not exactly <laughs> but that's a common thing with I mean Japanese versus English I mean Earlier this year, I was playing Final Fantasy VI Advance in Japanese. Yeah. And just checking bits. I mean, every time we came to a spot where I remembered some iconic line in English, I checked it against the Japanese, and it's like, mm, yeah, not really, no. Okay. There was some punch up here in localization. Quite a bit. So. Though I did finally figure out what um, what the original version of Mr. Thou was. Hmm. Um, I always assumed that Gao was mixing up one of the many, many, many uh, personal pronouns in Japanese. Mm-hmm. But he was actually getting tripped over a verb. Hmm. Uh, the old traditional Japanese verb, gozaru. Hmm. Which sounds a lot like it should be a word for monkey. Ah, <laughs> uh, oh. <laughs> I can see how that might happen. Gozaru is, yeah, uh, um, like a popular verb. So, yeah, I like Mister Thou better. But at least the joke—at least the joke was largely the same mm-hmm. between the two. Like that's always impressive in and of itself. Whenever there's wordplay to try to make any sort of even similar joke. Oh, excuse me. Like <coughs> Wheels might be dying. No, I'm okay. Oh, I may lose my voice by the end of this. I mean, the other the other game game I've been playing recently was Codename Steam. Ah, uh, yes. Oh, yeah. yes. Also in Japanese, but somebody made the very wonderful decision to keep all the voice acting in English. Nice. <laughs> Best of both worlds. And nice. so I I'm reading the dialogue in Japanese and listening it to listening to it in English and tech. Technically, it covers the same ground. Technically, <laughs> they're relating the same sort of information. And technically, the uh, emo- the uh, basic cognitive content is the same. However, I can tell you that there is absolutely nothing in common in anything else or any way that they say it. <laughs> <laughs> if you tried to do a direct translation from the English to the Japanese, you would have some very confused Japanese people. 
I feel like that's one of those situations. Like when they when they announced Codename Steam, like they they were very clear that it's like, oh, this is inspired by Western comic book art, and it's full of like sort of Western style. So I guess that's why it's all that, in. Not just that the head, whoever was the head writer, had to have been a native English speaker. Mm. Because I mean, I mean that goes so far beyond just localization on the dialogue in English. It is flat out um, to somebody. Um, it was like com- almost completely independent of the Japanese text. Wow. Yeah. Who developed that? That was Intelligent Systems. Intelligent Systems? Okay. Which is that's right, it had support for Fire Emblem Amiibos. I was going to say, that's why it, mm. you could use all the Fire Emblem Amiibos in it. That's why I tracked down all the Fire Emblem Amiibos. <laughs> you ever used them? The, yeah, I used all of them. Okay, okay. Yeah. So it's like, um, like I, just, I, mean, I just finished the level where the fox shows up. Nice. And in... In the English voice act, um, in the English voiceover, you can tell that all of her references are actually pointing to Zorro. Mm-hmm. And in the Japanese text, there are no references. Huh. Hmm. I mean, she makes some re- she makes some reference to having finished a job and then rushing over to Washington D.C. She does not mention the plight of the oppressed in California. Hmm. Which is how you're supposed to figure out who her character is supposed to be. In mm. literature, in the first place. Hmm. On the bright side, Wikipedia is claiming to me that in Japan they gave it the subtitle "Lincoln versus Aliens," which is a pretty good subtitle. <laughs> yes, they did. Yes, they did. <laughs> oh, I love that. That is great. No, when some lose some. There. Yeah. And I was mm. just thinking to myself, you know what? Just take the entire, uh, the entire cast list from this game and have a pretty good junior or senior high reading list. <laughs> I'm not sure how well they would get through Moby Dick, but yeah, but everyone in good. everyone in, at that age has to read Moby Dick regardless of whether they can get through it well. So <laughs> I somehow avoided it. But. I don't think I ever have to, had to read it, or at least didn't actually read it. <laughs> <laughs> Those can be two very different things in yeah. school. I, I know in some schools in my area, it, um, actually, in this, well, this must have been, well, must have been like 35 years ago. The school my dad used to teach at, um, there was this mom who completely ban- um, forbid her daughter to read the Chronicles of Narnia for the reading <laughs> list for that year, and so the daughter got assigned Moby Dick instead. Oh <laughs> no! So, oh. Um, so a lot of my hearsay on this is that. If Moby Dick is the reading list being used as a unit of action. Yeah, no, like, oh man, get ready to read a lot about Wayland. Get ready to read a lot of being paid by the word. Mm-hmm. To me, nothing can be worse than Great Expectations. Great Expectations is just like a bad book to read outside of the context of like, oh, Charles, like, Charles Dickens, like wrote a book about his other books being ridiculous. Yeah. Unless you're doing the South Park version. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) I I made my best effort to read that book. Like, I would sit there and read through it, and I would, like, daydream in the middle of reading the book. It was so boring. It it makes no sense to expose someone to that. It's like, oh, this should be the first thing by Charles Dickens you read. (laughs) 
I know I finished it, and I have some vague recollection of what the actual plot is. I don't actually remember reading it. <laughs> except, except, the, except the comment from the young lady that the main character called the, ja um, the knaves in the deck jacks. And that was somehow silly and inappropriate and socially, like, socially marked him as lower class. What, what Times have changed. What was the main <laughs> character's, character's name? Was it Pip? Or am I thinking of a different Yeah, book? it's Pip. Okay. It's not, not what we would normally consider a name in this day and age. No. In fact, the only benefit I ever gained from reading that book was that when I got to the second or third novel in Jasper Ford's um, Tuesday Next, um, Thursday Next series, a lot of the jokes made a lot more sense. <laughs> because, um, what's her name, the old widow in Great Expectations? Oh, yeah. <clears throat> um, well, in the Thursday Next series, behind the scenes, she's actually a hot rod driving secret agent. <laughs> That's pretty rad. <laughs> yes. And and oh. the old widow bit from the book is just her cover. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, she. Um, I mean, it, I mean that that particular series is. I mean, what what is the metafiction version of metafiction? I don't. I don't. I think we might be too many layers deep at this point. Yeah, it's metafiction all the way down in that series. Uh, so. Okay. But other than that, um, I also recently finished um, Children of Zodiacs, uh, Steam uh, tactical RPG. Nice. And probably one of the most depressing games I've played in a decade. Wow. Whoa. <laughs> All right, this that sounds bad. Yeah. Yep. It's it's pretty dark. It's a bit depressing. Lots of people die. And if you're the kind of person who really does not want politics in their game, Ooh. then I would... <laughs> so. All right, I won't it, that. However, if you're the kind of person who really likes commentary on uh, social interactions and class warfare, hmm. go for it. Well, if you need a lighter RPG to wipe that taste out of your mouth... <laughs> Boy, do I have a suggestion for you. Oh, do tell, do tell. Undertale. Yes, I should oh, probably do that sometime soon. It's it's a very it's a very fun RPG. A lot of great yeah. characters. It's... No one has to die. Yeah. Well, if you do pacifisms, yeah. Not very... yeah. Or you can, but just it's it's kill some things, which I'm doing for my first playthrough. Uh... What is on my Steam list right now? Let me see. Also, I will interrupt just to say that .hack GU Last Recode has a release in America. November 3rd. Yes. Oh, man, I'm so sold on that. I'm looking forward to replaying part one. It plays faster now. They increase the movement speed and such. And I made 150 bucks well, selling my old copies. <laughs> that almost covers the SNES Classic. Mm. <laughs> yeah, well, Steam's not loading up, so I can't see what all I actually have on there, but it's a lot. So, 
Steve is a very good thing that I use when, like, there's someone that is having, like, a birthday or, like, someone I want to get someone a Christmas present for, but I don't want to, like, have to, like, work out their address and something. I'll just send them something on Steam. Like, hey, I was thinking of you. <laughs> yeah, that's how I got Undertale, actually. <laughs> uh, and meanwhile, I've been playing my Steam copy of Legend of Heroes Trails in the Sky. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which allows you to speed up the game to truly ridiculous, arbitrary extents. I think you can set it to like eight times battle speed or something. Like something truly ridiculous, like utterly useless, heinous, really. Can you set it to skip all text? You probably could set it to speed through text. But also, I can't bring myself to do that. I'm here to read. It's basically a book that has RPG battles in it. Oh, I've played a few of those, too. I'm just making jokes concerning certain... <laughs> yeah, uh, no, I'm just I'm just tempering my statements by saying, yeah, yeah kind of book. <laughs> yeah, if I could get through Xenosaga 1 and 2 on the DS, which was a mostly oh, novel with RPG interludes, then I can probably get through that. I feel like the weirdest thing about Xenosaga 1 and 2 on the DS was just like... I can't imagine that it was like it's it's now when I think about that and you give that description all I can think is like that's almost what the PS2 games were except that instead of being a book it was a movie. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Well yeah, well Xenosaga 1 and 2 managed to prove the axiom that you know what sometimes editing is better. Yeah. Um, <laughs> editing down is better. Um, they took out like ev- almost every single extraneous thing from the first two games. They collapsed several entire levels down to backstory, um, optional backstory elements. Oh man! Uh, they str- um, they stripped down and streamlined the battle system to the point where it's no longer recognizable as itself, and um, ma- managed to fit two PlayStation Two games on one DS cartridge. So it's pretty. In- Nice. And yet we that, didn't get that version. That and they recycled quite a few sections of gra- or bits of graphics for um, for Endless Frontier exceed or Endless or Endless Frontier games. Yeah. So. And then they didn't. They decided not to give us that version, which was weird. Yep. It must have been even weirder. It actually included bonus material that would lead into Xenosaga Three. Huh. Yeah. No. Then again, they didn't feel like explaining why Cosmos could talk to cats in Episode 2 in America, so I guess they, didn't, they just didn't care. <laughs> it's funny. Yeah, like, like I just remember there's like an ins- insane like fan disc that tries to canonically explain why that's the case in Japan. But in America, it's just like, no, she can just talk to cats, don't think about it. Actually, I think there must, there must be some kind of trope with like powerful robot talks likes talking to cats. I mean, I'd talk to cats if I could. So I mean, I can't blame them. Because I'm mean, like the the babysitting robot who follows you around in Children of Zodiacs. He has a kitten. Oh, that's good. <laughs> the kitten does not survive its third battle. Oh, well, that's dark. Yeah. <laughs> well, now I'm sad. But, but we have we have the wonderful line of. Oh, do you have any? Would you perchance have any milk? No. Okay, then let's con- proceed with the senseless violence. 
Well, now I'm just thinking about Coco the Gorilla. <laughs> Basically a robot, actually a gorilla. <laughs> hey, what are some other text-heavy games I've had? Uh, Sigma Harmonics! That was a fun one. <laughs> that one was a combination mystery-adventure game and RPG that you played sideways. Huh. Yeah. DS like to do that sometimes, it's kind of weird. Yep. But most of the games that did it were adventure games, mm -hmm. or visual novels, and not RPGs. But I've got two of them that do that, uh, and it gets kind of weird because it, some of them manage to do the the graphics just right, and you actually get a stereoscopic view. Huh. Yeah. But yeah. Sigma huh. Harmonics is weird. Sword World 2.0, I'm still working on because I keep get running out of time trying to get through a maze and I get eaten by a Gru. <laughs> I'm not even joking. That's almost exactly what happens. <laughs> happens to the best of us. Goddamn Gru. Uh, what was I going to say? Have you had the pleasure of playing Tears to Tiara 2? No. Okay, good. That was a game that could have done with some editing. Like a lot of freaking editing. I'm going to say it's taken from an Aqua Plus PC game, so yeah, that kind of goes without saying. <laughs> I, mean, every, I mean, most of the games that get ported from PC to anything else in Japan, they tend to have heavy visual novel elements. Mm. Yeah, I think this... Like, listening to Wheels fall asleep while playing it, uh, I think this was just, like, a visual novel that occasionally had a strategy battle. Yeah. That is not as uncommon as you would think. <laughs> yeah, summer, I'm not gonna... Last summer, when I was just going, burning through my backlog and seeing if anything was worth playing, it turns out that I'm not sure if there was a battle in this game. It, I'm pretty <laughs> sure there was supposed to be. I'm pretty sure I saw a screenshot on the back that showed a battle. I managed to get through 13 different <laughs> scenes spanning about 20 years of time and maybe 18 to 20 characters without seeing a battle. <laughs> oh, so no. I'm not sure if this is the way it's supposed to be or if I accidentally picked up the story-only version of the game. <laughs> that is a possibility. Um, it had some sort of specialty version listed on the title and I'm not quite sure what it was talking about. <laughs> specialty for those who just wanted to read. Yeah, and then I found a different game called Circadia, which could have been an, like Persona if it had actually had battles, or more battles. They actually had a battle one hour in. <laughs> which, granted, that's about how long it took Persona Four to get to the battles, but Persona Four was a lot more interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, what are the hot topics for this week? Alright, so... <coughs> the first question we have from Budai... Well, that's actually a quick note. Um, you can actually toggle the speed in Final Fantasy XII by holding L1 and pressing the D-pad. I'm not sure why they didn't make this feature more known. And Final Fantasy IV After Years is a good example of why se sequels aren't always a good idea. 
at one point in my life I would have done anything for a Final Fantasy IV sequel, and now I can't even finish it. (laughs) (laughs) The After Years is kind of a good example of being too specialized for the original format. Um, Yeah. I, I played it on cell phones, like, one chapter at a time, individually downloaded as it was made available. And just playing it on the train like that, it was it worked quite well, actually. Um, but even, I mean, I wrote an impression for it all those years ago, and I had to make the comment that, yeah, this is not the kind of sequel that anyone would have been expecting. Um, if you go in with that kind of expectation, you are going to be disappointed. Mm-hmm. Like, definitely. Um, it's just... I'm, I'm amazed that they didn't try to chain, um, redesign it at all, porting it to anything else. Especially because they kept redoing its graphics. Like, they had to remake it in 3D once, and they didn't redesign it there either. Yeah. I mean, some of the individual ideas in it were actually kind of interesting. And yet, it just... It, it was never intended to be anything but a cell phone. Mm-hmm. And like I, I feel like I, I can't speak personally, but I feel like in that context of it being like something that you played for you know while you were on a train on your phone, mm-hmm. kind of half paying attention to it, like it would make more sense in that context. Yep. But I mean, it was like little. I mean, the parts I played were full of just random little callbacks, like in. Um, what was the name of the, the magic twin boy? Porum? Porum and Porum. I think Porum's the boy. Okay. Um, in his chapter, he, he was having to escort this apprentice magician from Troia up to the a tower. Mm-hmm. And it turns out, um, if you played Final Fantasy IV and in the ending credits, it has Porum just showing off his magic skills to this, this um, cute little girl in town. Mm-hmm trying to impress her with all of his prowess. She's the girl that you're escorting up the, ta- the tower in the after years. Oh, that's cute. Yeah. I mean, it's got just random things all throughout there, like, they retroactively made two of the the Red Wing soldiers with Cecil at the very beginning of Final Fantasy IV into uh, Biggs and Wedge. <laughs> um... Just, I mean, there were a lot of little things I actually liked about it, um, and a lot of ideas that I thought could have been done better. And just, yeah, it was never supposed to be anything more than a cell phone game. Yeah. Mm. Just by the way it was designed. Makes me glad I never got the Final Fantasy VI sequel I always dreamed of as a kid. I know. Did you ever see? Um, oh, years and years ago, there was a April Fool's article, um, not on our side, about a Final Fantasy VI remake, and it actually looked really good. No, I haven't seen that. Yeah. So. It probably would have made me sad. Actually, no, it was a Final Fantasy VI sequel. That was the joke there. Ah. Uh. Would have made him even sadder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's okay. Right now, I'm trying to 
We have the pre-mobile right version of Final Fantasy VI, right? Oh. Right now I'm trying to figure out how to properly write a review of Final Fantasy VI Advance Ooh. without turning it into a massive editorial. <laughs> and I may just write it as an editorial. I'm not sure which. Yeah, I might, I might just be go with the flow and write an editorial. Yeah. No. There were some good things in Six Advance. The way that you get Gilgamesh is cute. The way that it didn't have the PS1 version's loading times. Oh, man. Oh, that's excellent right there, yeah. Did you know that I traded in my SNES copy to get the PS1 version? <laughs> you got screwed. Yeah. I'm trying to think, of, like, which is the worst of those, like, PS1 ports between FF4, 5, 6, and Chrono Trigger? Uh, for me, it was five, and I'll tell you why. Cause translation. I pl- yep, because I played that <laughs> the fun, some of the fun fans translation, but always hit lots of emulation errors and was never able to finish the game. So you know, I plenty of people learned how to disable layering just to get through the pirate ship. Yep, yep, exactly. Uh, but yeah, yeah uh, when I finally played the official, you know, translation, it was just bad. Yeah, I never trans- played. I never actually played the official translation. I just remember seeing screenshots of why burn. <laughs> yeah, it's, that's that's basically it. Sums up the game pretty well. It's that translation's horrendous. Yeah, it's I like did when love. You don't even know the names of the most common monsters from the old D and D monster manual, and you're trying to translate a fantasy RPG. Yeah. I did really enjoy, like, looking at screenshots of Final Fantasy Extreme for the PC when they tried to use that translation on the PC uh, for a PC release. And, like, looking at the previews, and it's like, yep, that is that exact same translation. They just took that translation (laughs) from, like, three years prior, slapped it into a PS1 version. (laughs) It uh, It was something. Choices were made. Not none of them good. <laughs> I'm still impressed that like the first version of Chrono Trigger I could get my hands on was the one was the PS1 version, and I still end up loving the game even though it was took forever for anything to happen. Yeah, the, this the core of the core of it's there though. The core of it's there, but like it really messes with the pacing when it has yeah. to load for five seconds anytime a battle starts. My God, the DS version of that game. Mm. That's a really good version. Yeah. Just don't play the new content. All the new content's bad. Yeah, it's kind of meh. Let's go through this same dungeon like a million times. New content is rarely ever worth it. Some of the new content in 4 isn't terrible. That's the most I can say. Yeah, I mean, the the extra ability, whatever it was, in Final Fantasy 4 DS was interesting. Oh, the augments? You had the augments. It was interesting, but you had to realize that um, using them on characters who you knew were going to be taken out of the story fairly quickly was actually a good strategy to get more of them. That was the meanest thing. I did thing. not realize that the first time through. Yeah, like that's the meanest thing about 4DS is that it seems specifically designed to screw with you if you know how the game is going to play out. Also, the way that game does New Game Plus is terrible. That's not 
surprising. Like the way I think it's like you have a maximum like per file you can get up to three new game pluses, and the only things you can drag along are things that are grinded out the same way you grind out the pink tail for adamant armor. Mm. So yeah, don't bother with that. Yeah. But I mean, like like some of the bonus dungeons in FF4 Advance are not terrible. Yeah. There's like some stuff where you can like drag along some of the characters who are only in the party for brief periods and they get to do something that's mildly character related. <laughs> yeah, I liked being able to play as all the characters that you shouldn't have been able to bring back. Just drag or... Yang to the final fight. Edge, you can sit you can sit at home. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I feel like uh, like we could probably expand off this original statement about like regrettable sequels, but I feel like that would be a list a mile long. So yeah. So you have a personal favorite reg- regrettable sequel. <laughs> Depends on what you mean by favorite. <laughs> um, something that you that you enjoyed, but you knew it should never have been allowed to exist. Chrono Cross. Good one. Okay. That's a fair choice. Do we just, fair do we just choice. the mic right now, or do we try to come up with one to top that? Uh, huh. Let me see if I can think of something that fits, fits more me, because I don't... I played Chrono Cross before Chrono Trigger, and playing Chrono Trigger just made me not like Chrono Cross very much, but... <laughs> um, hmm. Okay, this is a harder question than I thought. Um, hmm. Yeah. Okay. You know, I, I just realized I don't actually play a lot of games with direct sequels. Hmm. Now, usually when a when a direct sequel really makes me sad, I just sort of stop playing it and don't give it time to become its own thing. <laughs> uh, let's see. Lightning returns. Hmm. Yeah, that probably didn't need to exist. Yeah. I enjoyed it, but it probably didn't need to exist. I mean, I remember playing it, playing the demo at TGS and thinking it was interesting, but I think Lightning Returns is one of those games that probably would have been better off being completely removed from its own series. Yeah, that's the thing. It feels uh, like someone wanted to make a variant of Valkyrie Profile. Yeah. Or, I mean... Wheels, I know you might protest this, but Dragon, uh, Breath of Fire Dragon Quarter. Ex- excellent game. It would have been much better if it didn't have the Breath of Fire title. I don't think it. I don't think it benefits much from being a Breath of Fire game. So I'll give you that. Okay. I mean, I mean aside from having Ryu and Nina as the main characters, and you, could, you could name them anything. They're just the blue-haired kid and the blonde kid. <laughs> The same could be said for any other game in the series. Yeah, it's uh, a really generic series. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing. Dragon Quarter was the least generic game of a series that is known for its generic fantasy. Yeah, pretty much. People have absurd nostalgia for it for some reason, which I don't really get. <laughs> <sighs> but yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a fair point of just like, sometimes... Having having a name just attaches baggage, and it's better to just go it alone. 
Yeah. So, Sequels are hard. <laughs> yes, they are. Yes, they are. Oh, Star Ocean Blue Sphere. <laughs> Which I enjoyed far too much. <laughs> one day, one day they will find a way to disseminate that in, in English they, they, for me and no one else. <laughs> they re they did it, gave it a graphic makeover for cell phones a couple years ago. They Square could have put it on the 3DS... Um, the 3DS Virtual Shop, or eShop, easily, and they never did. Uh, <laughs> I think they just made another Star Ocean cell phone game that I haven't looked at yet. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's called An Anamnesis. Okay, then. Don't know what that word means. They might have made it up. I wouldn't know. But I guess it was their 20th anniversary game. Yeah, I was going to say, Blue Sphere at least had the credit of doing something original that wasn't completely, hey, look at these characters, they're all together again, haha. They're all together again, even though it wasn't possible for them to all be together before. <laughs> yeah, but that, that's the good, um, but that's the nice that's thing. It has them all together, but it doesn't bother to explain. It doesn't even bother to reference and anything from the first, from second story. It just has them all going off in an adventure. An adventure is fun. Sometimes you can just. Sometimes you don't need an explanation. Sometimes it's and just it, fun. It works so much better than almost than pretty much any of the Tales series. Let's get everybody together. Uh, Spin-off games that I have played. All the Tales of the World games are bad. <laughs> there uh, I said our, it. Our theory Dungeon Two was actually quite good. Okay, but it's. I don't. But is Summoner's that... Lineage, which came before that, I have to wonder why they even bothered to bring the Tales of Fantasia cast into that game. Uh, I was going to ask: was was uh, was Narakiri Dungeon branded Tales of Fantasia or Tales of the World? He, uh, <coughs> the first Narakiri Dungeon was Tales of Fantasia because it was a direct sequel. Mm. And so is the remake for play for the PSP, which. Completely it's like cross Narakiri Dungeon. It's like it has a remake of both. No, it's um, no, it's a, it is a remake of Narakiri Dungeon. It uses the same story. It just provides a completely different battle system. Yeah, no, I just I I had heard it contained a Tales of Fantasia remake as well. Oh, I hadn't. I don't remember that part. That's it the weirdest does. thing to I me because if it. it because reason. if it does, that means there's two distinct versions of Tales of Fantasia on PSP. I wouldn't think so. That I mean, Narakiri Dungeon is a sequel to... Is, I mean, it takes place 200 years later. It is mm -hmm. a sequel to Tales of Fantasia. It includes most of Douse's backstory that was cut from the original version, original game. Mm -hmm. Because, like, the guy, the, um, the guy who wrote... Tales of Fantasia originally, he was doing his own fantasy novel series, like he was trying mm. to do it, and they just changed it into the game. And yeah. Daps had, like, several dozen chapters of backstory <laughs> that that they just had to cut for space reasons in the first game, and so they just built up Narikiri Dungeon out of that. Turning Daps into a character who does 
very strange things for little defined reason. Yes. So, um, but yeah, Narakiri Dungeon 2 and 3 were the first, uh, were, like, actually, okay, technically, second and third Tales of the World games. And they actually worked quite well. Mm -hmm. Much better than Radiant Mythology. Yeah, Radiant <laughs> Mythology, I guess, is the one I should speak for more. Is like, and, that's a bad game. And also much, much better than Summoner's Lineage. Because Summoner's Lineage was a this tactical game. It was actually a very good versus tactical game that they decided to just put together a campaign mode based around... Um, a sequel to Tales of Fantasia. Hmm. And they didn't do it very well. They mishandled a lot of the characters. There was absolutely no I, no need to use time slips to bring the entire Tales of Fantasia cast forward 200 years. And then they failed to do anything interesting with them anyway. <laughs> yeah. We just wanted and, you here. <laughs> yeah. And again, because this was... This game was not originally intended to have a campaign mode like this, um, I am assuming. The, mm -hmm. s the story, I mean, the, the story-based battles were very, very, very unbalanced. Hmm, that's... Like, um, whenever, I mean, whenever you summoned a new monster in battle, it always starts at level one. Oh. Okay. But you are allowed to carry over surviving monsters from a previous battle which have gained levels. And this is what you're supposed to be doing. However, whatever enemies are set at the beginning of each battle, they are already at, like, levels, I mean, whatever the par level for that map is. Yeah. And, um, so, I mean, the new ones that, the new monsters that spawn later on in the battle, they'll all be starting at level 1, too. But first, you'll have to get through, like, 25 level 19 monsters. Uh, this doesn't sound well thought out, I'm going to be honest. <laughs> yes. What? Something in the Tail series not well thought out? This never happened. <laughs> this does remind me that Will sent me a copy of Tales of Rebirth that I have to give a shot. I did. Because I had two. <laughs> I don't know why you had two. <clears throat> I had the PSP version and the PS2 version. And because, now I have its PS2 version. Because at some point I apparently lost my sanity and decided I needed to own every Tales game and every version of every Tales game, I guess. That's, that is the kind of thing a crazy person does. It's true. You're probably also missing, like, six Tales of the World games. Ah, oh, screw those. Those don't count. <laughs> uh, at some point I'm going to have to actually buy a copy of Tales of the World Rev Unicia just to see how it turned out. That's the 3DS seen... one? No, it's a 3DS game. It's a okay. tactic RPG for 3DS. Hmm. Oh, I, I, had, um, I had that I briefly. It's, it's not terrible. Yeah. It's not terrible. Huh. I did end up selling it, but what I played of it was not terrible. This was not, this was not the worst thing that you could have sold. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Next topic. Also from Budai, do you feel games will ever have commercials? Like, before a match of multiplayer loads, it has 
brought to you by some company and logo. What would have to be an offset to make this worthwhile? Would you rather watch a commercial or have uh, blanket advertising in-game? Is there any instances of this already existing, and at what point would it be bad for single-player? Well, like, this already exists. It's just that everyone... It's just like, here's a giant ad for KFC in the background of your game. Actually, Uh, I'm I'm surprised that this guy has not tried to do this before, because I'm remembering the the interact bits from Disgaea 1 with oh yeah Aetna just um, giving the promo over um, like a promo for the next chapter and I'm thinking she could so do a fake commercial series in that in the same vein mm-hmm. especially if you did something crazy like in Disgaea 1 where um, she started rambling on about the next chapter being about basically a Flash Gordon episode and everybody else going you've got to be crazy, this is the stupidest one yet and you've you've been lying through your teeth for every single preview so far and then it turns out to be a Flash Gordon episode yeah, that's when you get Captain whatever, Defender of Earth Captain Gordon oh man, that just makes it even more explicit yes oh Um, so I could see I could see Nipponichi doing something like this, but completely tongue in cheek. Yeah, yeah. The only time I can think of someone straight face doing this was uh, Hit failed uh, Hit failed handheld game console, the Gizmondo, which uh, was which would download ads for you every day if you bought the cheaper version of it. There's a reason you've never seen a Gizmondo in person. Well, I'm pretty sure I, did, I forgot they existed. I'm pretty sure this does exist in some mobile games. Oh, probably. Where you can download a free version and have to deal with ads or, like, pay for an ad-free version. I remember that in, um... Oh, crap, what the heck was that crossword puzzle game? I don't even Crossword? I don't... I don't even remember or care. It was, like, a Scrabble ripoff. Ah. But, yeah, like... I don't, like... The problem that you run into is that, like, advertisers know that people don't watch those, and that's why they're trying to find other ways to shove ads into your face. Yeah. And it just, at this point, it makes more sense to just do, like, product placement. Like, here's a thing that you can buy in real life. Here's a quest in FF15 where Gladiolus is going to sit here and tell you about the virtues of instant noodles for ten minutes. (laughs) Which was so cosmically absurd it wrapped around to being amazing. I'm thinking of, like, um, Final Fantasy VII Advent Children, where they had that long shot of the cell phone falling into the water and just spinning slowly as it drifted down, and they marketed that cell phone model in Japan. <laughs> yeah. Like, that was, a, that was like, a very specific cell phone model that, like, Cloud uses the entire movie. Yes. Um, I had a friend who's, like, um, who's, like, um, he was trying to write a fan fiction, and he wanted to describe this character as having a, a phone just like that one in Final Fantasy, whatever, and he's like, like, they don't really exist, do they? And it's like, yes, they do. I just pulled up the ads and showed it to him. And he was, his mind was blown that you could actually buy the thing. I'm also forcibly reminded of the fact that uh, El Shaddai Ascension of the Metatron is half jeans advertisement. <laughs> yes, he is wearing jeans that whole game, isn't he? Well, he's wearing jeans, but they're very specific jeans, and they're yeah. very carefully modeled to be that brand of jeans. 
Now, I'm imagining if Bayonetta sold shampoo and hair conditioning products. That just, that's just fitting. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be into that. Oh, man. Okay, now I've got some marketing meetings to, to schedule with Platinum <laughs> again, a few other companies. Uh, you're all under contract now. Um, but yeah, I, I can't see, like, there's too many ways, there's, there's a lot of ways for this to just sort of piss people off, and it has to download ads, which means that it always, that it has to inherently be always online so that it can download ads to shoot at you, uh, which people don't like to be interested. Like, it could be like my Kindle, where it just downloads a cache of static ads to, the, to cycle through. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I think about the most you could really do for like for a truly single player experience. It's not super feasible, but uh, I don't know. I'm not a marketing executive. I'm sure there's people that are trying to get this into your video games right now. Yeah, uh, <coughs> you'd probably turn off a lot of people doing any sort of ads too. Yeah, people people tend to get more angry at something at seeing ads in something that they specifically had to go out and purchase. Yeah. Also, hear that gamers are fond of being mad at things, so there's also that. A terminal case of mad online. <laughs> oh, no. But, I mean, I was. We just talked about Tales games, weren't we? Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I was just going to say that I, I, I don't. I don't think this would even be really, really necessary. I mean, there's a lot of free to play online games that just make make their money in other ways. You don't even need ads, so... I, mm -hmm. I don't think there's really going to be a necessity for this, thankfully. You lose a lot of goodwill, and the amount that an advertiser is willing to pay on an untested advertising method is, like, basically nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Here, just have everyone drive in a specific kind of car. Uh, but you were going to say something about Tails? Oh no, I was just saying, like, false outrage from fans. Oh. <laughs> Speaking of being mad online. Yes. What? The Tales community? They've never done that. Come on now. Come on. Alright. <coughs> Let's retire to our secret vault of English copies of Tales of Vesperia PS3. Finally can swim in it like Scrooge McDuck. I'll never forget, like, the first time that, like, when that version came out and people started playing it and talking to a friend that had really been wanting to play it, and I'm like, it's, it's not that great, it's not a particularly interesting game, and they're just like, yeah, you're right, it's not that interesting of a Tales game. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. That happened. Advertising, it will worm its way into your consciousness, they will advertise into your into your dreams, enjoy your light speed briefs. <coughs> Alright, let's see. Next next question, also from Budai. Remember when it came out that Square could consider making Final Fantasy XV a musical? How amazing would that be? I feel like Final Fantasy is one of the few series that could actually pull it off. Does that idea interest you or repulse you? I would be all over a Final Fantasy musical RPG. 
I was going to say, if they could get the guys who helped write that one episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah. Oh, man. He's right about Square Enix possibly being the only one who can pull it off because you need the ability or the money to hire talent, not just for the writing, but the singing and then the graphical render. That would just be a really huge undertaking for... Yeah. <laughs> They're like the only company crazy enough to try it, but it would have to be at a time when they were one flush with cash and two less risk-averse than they are now. I know, I could see, again, Nipponichi being crazy enough to try it because they did Rhapsody. Yeah, Rhapsody, a musical adventure. They, they just don't have the cash flow to make it work. Yeah. yeah. As I recall, this this particular tidbit came out around the time that Nomura had first seen the uh, theatrical adaptation of Les Miserables. Like, it'd be interesting. Like, I would be interested in seeing what would come out of that. Like, I like I like doing really gonzo things with presentation and style. I think it's interesting when you pull it pull away from like the idea of like this is what a video game looks like and sounds like and try to do something different with it. <coughs> Unique musical fusions can work out pretty well. I mean, like, I'm pretty sure that the entire, like, United States lost, kind of lost it over Hamilton over the past year, so. I mean, you know, do something crazy with a video game and a musical. Do it. Someone, please. <laughs> For that matter, just, like, talk Weird Al Yankovic into producing something. Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, if. If anybody would do it just for lols. That's then, always fun. Just convince someone that would be interested in the concept. Yeah. I mean, if I if I actually had any... Um, actually, I've got a copy of RPG Maker VX Ace now, and if I had any skill with it or any idea what I was doing with it, I'd probably see if I could try and make that, um, that Eternal Sonata parody that I wrote about years ago. You remember that one? Really? I think so, yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. Yes, it was Rusty Bell, the drunken stupor of... Oh, God. Oh, God. Yes. Yes, where instead of instead of being caught in the hallucinations of a fever dream, he is actually sleeping off a bender in a ditch near Baden-Baden-Baden. And so one of the subsystems of the game is to was where you actually have to grind enemies for booze in order to keep eating <laughs> He soaked up. The hangover's over. Or the uh, dream is over, and he and the world ends in one hell of a hangover. So where can I um, donate? How to do your I donate to your Kickstarter? So far, is so far ahead of the Kickstarter point. It's not even worth it right now. I believe in you. But I mean, if I if I could actually do it, I would probably. Um, did you ever, did you ever um, listen to one of his um, one of Peter Shickley's short co uh, musical comedy bits called um, "New Horizons in Music Appreciation"? I don't think I've heard that one. It is uh, well. Peter Shickley is the guy who invented PDQ Bach, and mm -hmm. this musical skit is him and a friend at a, I believe it's a Beethoven concert, giving it color commentary like they were baseball commentators. <laughs> and at one point, you can hear it goes, dur, 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 
He's like, wow, did you hear him flub that note? And they start reading off the stats for the trombone player. <laughs> and I'm like, I want to incorporate this into this PDQ Bach game, and I'm going to make that trombone player one of the playable characters because they're kicking his butt out after this. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> That's an Oedipus text, the lovelorn cowboy. <laughs> With his lasso de amore. Uh, which is which is Shickley's personal name for this really weird instrument that looks like a foam pool, one of those um, long foam things that you play with in the pool, except you spin it around over your head and it makes noise. All right, we need to learn some sort of game-making program so we can help these games become a reality. Oh, Serious. Oh. Yes. yes, apparently that is, that is how I will make my fortune. I will sit down and... And fight Game Maker Unity to the death. Yeah, but yeah, for more fun, my my writing project based on random pen and paper RPGs is continuing along. Really? Yeah. So I've I finally found some good computer programs to help me keep track of people's stats. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's like, oops, I completely forgot that they've got this particular thing here. Where, okay, oops, they've got a much different skill modifier now. Oh, okay. I'm glad I don't actually have to reference these too often. Okay. So. Right. <sighs> Next question. Okay. A few months. Why do you feel Japanese gamers or developers love mascot characters? Even ve even in very serious games, a mascot or animal-like character will appear. Which are some mascot characters that you like and dislike? Well, I'm well to answer the first question. I'm assuming it's because all these developers are Japanese, and the Japanese have this insane fetish for mascot characters hmm. or everything. Ev Every community, every prefecture, every sub-organization at some level or other. Um, the Kumamoto police force has a mascot. He's a teddy bear. <laughs> I always wondered why they did that in Ace Attorney, and then I was, and then I realized, wait a minute, they actually do that in Japan. I mean, if you haven't yet, Google um, John Oliver's segment on Japanese mascots. Oh man! <laughs> yes. <laughs> It's worth a watch, and he gets it pretty close, yes. Uh, but yeah, I I mean, just for fun, I counted up the number of mascots that were specific to my area of Japan, and, ran out and stopped counting at 25. <laughs> <laughs> and one or two of them, I'm pretty sure that uh, it's not just specific to Kumamoto, but a lot of them were. You get far enough along, mm. and it's just going to turn out that there's more mascots than a human being's Dunbar number. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess that's one of those things where, like, after a while, it's like, this is in everything. Everything needs one because everything already has one. If we get rid of it, like, we'll be the only one without one. That's a problem. <laughs> Good mascot characters. Morgana in Persona 5 was pretty cool. <laughs> yep. 
gonna say the persona mascots were great. I mean, Teddy. Yeah. Teddy's good. Morgana's good. They're also uh, ridiculous characters to go along with nearly being marketable mascots, so that's useful. I mean, I mean the Shin Megami, Tense, Megami Tensei games have had Jack Frost for 30 years now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Final Fantasy VI has Mog. Yeah. 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 I mean, he's even on the front cover of the game. Um, it's moving around. Yeah. But don't you uh, don't you all just love Blue Dragon's mascot character? Get out. <laughs> I, I was thinking Xenogears. Oh yeah, Choo Choo. Choo Choo. Choo Choo died for your sins. It's like okay, just when I think they couldn't make this character any stupider, they turn him into a kaiju. It's the just only so way. Actually, just so he can actually have battles with the giant robots. Everything about Choo Choo was a confused choice. Yes. I mean, he would be my choice for probably worst mascot placement in an RPG. Probably not wrong. Yeah, I mean, a lot of of series, their quote-unquote mascot is actually more of... It's more often it's an enemy from the game, from somewhere in the series that all of the fans just latched onto and they really liked. Slimes. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, the little blue slime... Or Rabbites from uh, from the Mana series, or um, okay, Metal Max time, Pochi, the <laughs> Battle Dog. Oh yeah, yeah, he is in all but one of the games in the series. That's because they didn't have a mascot for Metal Max the original game. Instead, um, one of the later bosses had a small army of attack dogs with guns mounted on them, Probably. and and the fans were like. That was cool. Why couldn't we have one of those guys for our team? So they well, gave why not? <laughs> too. And that's Pochi. That's very good. Yep. And he's been in every single game plus two different um, I-whatever games since then. Across three different companies worth of publishing. So. How do we make sure they know it's still Metal Max? Bring in the dog... Exactly. That, well, that's the other thing with mascots. It's brand recognition. Yeah, yeah. You're not really going to associate anything else with those blue slimes or with chocobos or anything like that. It's just like instantly brings across like, yes, this is a world you're familiar with. Character as trademark. Uh, I'm thinking back to various other games, and a lot of them, yeah, it was the, the cute, low-level monster was often the mascot. It was the uh, thing that everyone was guaranteed to have seen when they played the game, I guess. Yeah, like the Atelier series, it's the Puni Puni, little blue slime guys. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't know that there's much more to explicate about it. It's just those are those are a lot of the that's a lot of the reason mascots we like, I guess. And Marmar sucks. I I'm shocked that you remember that character's name. I try not to. And yet you just did, like yeah. right out of the blue. It's 
ingrained in my brain, unfortunately. Now I'm just thinking about my favorite Final Fantasy monsters, and it's the Cactuar, and it'll always be the Cactuar. Like it's very important to me anytime those things appear in 3D that it be that it seem impossible that they should be able to move at all and yet still be incredibly fast. <coughs> all right, let me move us on to our next question. Um, do Western developers versus Japanese RPG developers treat side content differently? It seems the West sees side content as the main content. Which are some different games that prove or don't prove this? Hey, you're supposed to prove your own dang theory. Damn it. Well, man. Going with this, I would say a, a lot of the a lot of the major Western series developed out of the computer market where it was possible to download extensions and expansions and fixes. So you see a lot more things with DLC and with patches after the release, even now. And the Japanese RPG tradition came up out of the consoles where what you see is what you get. Mm. I mean, it wasn't until the PlayStation 2 period where you could get append discs to, to expand the game, like they did with Persona 3. Yeah, yeah, fast. And, and one of the Disgaea's, I know that had in, uh, several of the Disgaea games actually had appendix discs to add it on, to add it on stuff. Yeah, I don't think we ever got anything of those unless they included some of them in the port versions. Uh, yeah, a lot of it does get included in the ports. Ah, okay. I mean, the like the Persona Three appendix disc was the was, was the answer section. Yeah, it was uh, essentially all the fest content, I think. Yeah. And um, one of the Disgaea things I was thinking about was one of the games had an extension or like an alternate version with Razbarrel as a main character. And another one had the... Uh, oh, yeah, that, <laughs> that, the, came uh, out as, that just came out as DLC here. Okay, then that's oh. probably how... There. Um, you know what? I, I don't actually remember if that came out as DLC here or if it was only in the Vita version. Yeah, that might be only in, like, I think it's Absence of Detention in that one. Yeah, and then there was another, may have been a different game in the series, because I didn't keep track of them by this point, but it was the the girl who was supposed to have been brought back as a printy, but she wasn't. Oh, like a, that was four. That was four. Yeah, yeah she had her own extend, expansion as well for her game. Yeah, mm. that came out as DLC here, and I was... I, that character Wheels annoys me, so yeah, I was not too happy about that. <laughs> yeah, like that that concept of like it, like that was just a content a concept that didn't really exist in American game in American console games. Like it, of course, had a storied history on the PC, where expansion packs were wildly popular in the nineties. And, yeah, that's, that's probably where a lot of it comes from. Just the idea that, like, you could you could sell n something that was nothing but side content in in America. And so, like, it became, like, a race to, like, the side content and being able to pick, like, what parts are interesting to you can probably sell to a lot of people in a way that a one-size-fits-all story might not. Mm -hmm. So, yeah... 
some like it's like design philosophy differences stemming from original media and then just becoming more complicated over time. And there's been some slow adoption of like the way that uh, the the way that some of the some modern RPGs do side quests, uh, modern JRPGs I should say do side quests echoes a more like uh, Western sort of. Uh, buffet approach to uh, side quests where it's just like take as much or as little as you want it's not that important but like if something compels you go for it no, I'm thinking like Metal Max 4 where the majority of, of games, yes, where the majority of the game's content was not actually necessary but it's mm-hmm. really so okay back to some other topic Metal <laughs> Max like, Metal Max had to happen. It's like some sort of, like... Law. Yeah, it's a yeah. law of nature at this point, yeah. <sighs> I think this is about the end of our uh, actual pre-prepared discussion topics. Looks like it. So I guess that means <coughs> it's your chance to ask a question, guest. Oh, I forgot what I was going to ask. <laughs> oh, no. Oh no. Okay. Well, have you ever just been looking through like a list or something and just found a, a game title that you had never seen before? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I found one over at the book off near one of my classrooms a couple weeks ago. It's an old mm-hmm. Super Nintendo title. Title. Um, let's see if I can. Oh, where did I write it? Um, I just noticed it because the artwork was so obviously done by the guy who did all the uh, the front covers for Famitsu for so long. Oh, wow. Yeah, and I'd never heard of it before, and I cannot find where I wrote the title down, so I'll just add it to the comments list later. But it's this... Um, I mean... Even after a decade, I can still walk into a store over here and find something I have never heard of, and which I may not necessarily actually be able to find any information on online. <laughs> uh, but at the same time, I, I get the sense that that, I mean, the ability to have that happen is like almost, I mean, it's just steadily decreasing over the years because just the output's not there anymore. Or if it is, it's going to be like on a list of Steam games where it's just like a million one indie games that no one's ever talked about. Yeah. I mean, if you just look at, I mean, how many games were on Super Nintendo? We got like a fraction of those in the in English. Yeah, I know. I I actually had an, a discussion with a co-worker, another American who was working at the high school about this, and um, and I just looked it up just to settle it, and it was 1,446 Super Nintendo games. Wow. Yeah. And even, I mean, even the niche genres like RPG had some, had a very good representation there, and so few of them ever left the country. But at the same time, we're not, I mean, there's no way that like the 3DS would ever have that many games on it um, for mm-hmm. actual new releases. And 
I, I guess I've been having I've been having like end of an era blues for like five years now. Yeah. So I mean, ever since ever since the big DSPS two period ended and the flood of new titles just went to a trickle. Yeah. No longer possible to find something that like might approximate an actual game that you've just never heard of. <laughs> I mean, I, I still remember the days when I'd just open up a Famitsu for that week and find eight games I had never heard of before. All RPGs. <laughs> I mean, I, I found out about Atelier Lina, the third DS Atelier, in a back-of-the-magazine blurb. <laughs> And I, I hadn't even realized it was coming out because it was only a few months after Mary had come out. And it's like, how are they getting one out this soon? Dancer so. being, the, or dancer being that Annie was just that delayed. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what do you guys think? Do, do you think we'll ever have another explosion of games? Not I feel like I feel like digital is really the only place that can exist now. <clears throat> Just enough of a barrier to entry for a physical product. Yeah, <clears throat> I feel like a lot of that's kind of moving to the indie scene, um, especially with you know a lot more tools out there for uh, a small number of indie developers to make a really nice game. I mean, you look at the game I talked about earlier, Undertale. Uh, mostly made by one guy, I think with uh, some artist help as well. And, you know, there's lots of examples of that, of really, really cool games being made by a small number of people. And it's not like they're... It's not like many of them are even tiny games or, like, ugly games or anything like that. Just... <clears throat> I think as, like the barriers for entry into game development development kind of get smaller, I think we can have an explosion like that uh, through the indie scene. And still get lots of high-quality games. Because, like I said, there's there's so many more high-quality indie games than, um, I think, years ago when I kind of poo-pooed on the idea of playing any of them. It's one of those things where the, the issue is just, like, signal-to-noise ratio gets harder to discern, because it's like, mm. there are tons of these things, but, like, the the thing that made physical releases, like, stick out is that, like, there was, even with the amount of them that there were, there was still the natural barrier point of a console, a, a console manufacturer saying, like, hmm, no, maybe not yeah. <laughs> for some of them. Yeah, I mean, there was some level of gating for quality. Hopefully. Or at least, like, some sort of basic, like, you have to be an actual company that's making things, and it sort of, it, it makes it so that there's a baseline for how much has to have been put in. Yeah. Like, I, I don't think we'll get that back. We're going to get, like, this continual flood. Like, apparently, the, the, the Steam statistic that keeps happening that's terrifying is that, like, every year, like, the amount of games released on Steam that year is larger than the amount that had been released for the entirety of Steam's lifetime until then. Like, the numbers are terrifying, and it's like, there. it is more, like, in a year, more than a person could pursue in a lifetime. Wow. 
So you kind of you kind of miss the fa- the idea of something being large enough that it feels infinite without actually being infinite. <laughs> <laughs> so then like, you have, oh. have to apply Sturgeon's revelation to it all. Yeah. On the other hand, like it is still kind of fun for me to go back and look at like PCFX or Sega Saturn or some like console that was popular in Japan but not well not popular in the PCFX's case but existed in Japan but not America and it's got an entirely unknown library to me where it's like oh hey like here's a freaking dicing night for the Wonder Swan wonder what that's about is that a real game Did you just yeah make that up? Night. okay <laughs> that's that's real yeah. Uh, or something like, oh, here's Vakken Rotor for the Saturn. That didn't come out in America at all, but it's got a list of a list of bizarre people attached to it a mile long. Yeah. Or or Linda Cube. Yeah, Linda Cube. What one of the games that was cited for a need for grotesque imagery and violence warnings on games. <laughs> one day, one day, someone will translate Linda Cube, and I'll play it. <laughs> yeah. Is you got to keep in mind, it was made by the same guys who made Tales of the World Radiant Mythology. <laughs> what? what? Yes, actually. <laughs> or at least Why? they made. Why did yeah. they fall so far? <laughs> well, um, okay. Again, to to paraphrase from my own reviews here, um, like Linda Cube is an excellent example of what this team can do if they are given full liberty to um, exercise their creativity. It is also a wonderful example of why they have not been allowed to do this in 10 years. <laughs> why they, why people felt student. they needed to be stopped. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, when the final boss of Scenario A is a, like, a 300-pound weightlifter in a Santa costume with a hockey mask. And, and the battle music for the first half of this battle is Jingle Bells. <laughs> Listen, and, all my ideas are on one sheet of paper and, that's been cut up. And then and then it gets better. So, um, I mean, this this guy turns out to be the heroine's dad who murdered her father, or her mother. Murdered her mother. But he didn't actually murder her mother. He had her mother surgically grafted into his chest. What? <laughs> what? Yes. And he reveals this in for the second half of the final battle in Scenario A. Sure. It's fine. Everything's fine. As I said, there's a reason why they have those grotesque imagery and violence warnings on the games now in Japan. (laughs) It's fine that those warnings should be there. They're important sometimes. Yes. Yes. Yeah. But there's so many odd little games, yes. Yeah, like, that's that's one of the things I love doing. It's just sort of like a... Like, look up a list of games for, like, a platform that had diminished relevance in the U.S. And then, like, try look up, like, some of the games that came out on it. Because there's always going to be something that I've, like, never heard of that's super weird. Yeah. I've tried a bunch of games on those lists, and some of them are... They, they deserve to have been forgotten. <laughs> um, some others, some others really needed to be worked on better, like Camerai. Um, that that one had like um, sort of Starshin type, like um, everybody's running around battle stuff, mm-hmm. um, doing stuff. Except the battles came way too frequently. There was no way to escape them once they happened. 
and the character, the uh, party's AI was based entirely on a like um, a like or dislike chart. Oh no! <laughs> and while it was it was very difficult to keep that morale chart into the the most positive corner because. I mean, even when the en- when the enemy was nickel and diming these guys for damage, they would be taking constant hits to their morale, and you just could not raise it fast enough to counteract this. So they had items, they had gifts that you could give to the characters outside of battle to raise their morale back up by a lot, and you had to hold on to these things and and just hoard them because you would really need them in later levels. So, yeah. If you just, if you look down my reviews list, anything that has a two or two and a half is probably like massive disappointment area. <laughs> Fair point. Yeah. Uh, but um, are there any that you really wish had come over? It's tough. Like I, I tend, I tend to just like wish in the aggregate that it was possible for me to just jump into these and like, like my Japanese is not nearly good enough to actually do so. But like, there's just the desire to have access to them is one of the things that sort of like eats at me. It's like, if I had a billion dollars, I would just make a company that bought out the rights to these games and remade them. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, I'm sure that a lot of these are, like, currently owned by a company so vast that bought the that bought it in a string of buyouts that's, like, five companies long that is barely even aware that it owns it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I once, I tried to trace ownership for a, a couple of games at one point, and, like, Okay, the best I can do is that this game, that this company went out of business 15 years ago. And it doesn't look like anybody actually bought it, but it's based on an, it is very, very loosely based on a property owned by NHK. So, in some sense, NHK is probably who you'd have to negotiate with. Yes. Even if it is quite obvious that the anime and the game had very little in common except both being about mermaids. <laughs> Um, Not enough mermaid fiction. Yep. Or just stuff like um, Beyond the Labyrinth, or um, Mm. still can't believe that we never got that one. Yeah, that that one stinks. Or, uh, oh, Dengeki Gaku and RPG, quite understanding why we didn't get that one. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Or what else? Dungeons and Dam. I think I think Mac actually told me once that we were probably going to get that one back in 2009 or 8 whenever it was and we never did. Oh. And I'm not sure if it, I mean I'm not sure if a deal fell through or something or they just or they finally just got far enough down into the game script to realize that in chapter 7 one of the characters comes out as transgender. Mm. Um I really don't know what happened there. Um, 
See, Athea, so many good ideas and so damn slow. Okay. Um, what else we got down here? Guardians Crusade, better than it looked. That's <laughs> such a weird game. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that, that's one of the few that I've actually reviewed officially for the site, even though I only played it in Japanese. Because the other review was Otter. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what else we got here? Hamatora, look at Smoking World. The... <laughs> oh, we, we were talking about advertising and video games. Uh. So, this game is based on an actual shopping area of Kobe, and mm. it actually has... Um, they. The com um, Furyu actually made a deal with this smoothie shop chain operating in Kobe to put one of their stores into the game. And even better, even better, the game's stat advancement is entirely smoothie-based. <laughs> you, well. you have to bring ingredients to the smoothie shop to mix your own personal smoothies and have the characters drink them to gain stats and advance um, their ability list. Sure. That's fine, I guess. And then the game made the mistake of having it be almost impossible to raise funds through random battles. Oh, no. Because there's only one real random encounter that you can keep repeating, and it only gives you 100 yen. <laughs> I mean, there are a few side quests that you can repeat, but they're all the early side quests, and they only give you like 1,000 or 2,000 yen each. <laughs> yeah. Now, what else got in here? I'll, let's see. Kanata and the Rainbow Mirror. That one was a spin off of a movie that had nothing to do with the movie. Uh, but sure does make re releasing it impossible. <laughs> yeah. Maple Story DS. Oh, yeah. That happened. Surprisingly awesome. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Let's see. Metabots. I've played too much Metabots. Um, <laughs> There's a lot of Metabots. I've only played three of them, but it's still, yeah. Hmm. Okay. Let's see what else here. Um. I'm going to skip over the entire Metal Max section. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's okay. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven different reviews for me. Um, Monster Tactics. There's one that I wish had come over. That sounds interesting. Uh, that one was the Hide and Seek RPG. Huh. Okay, then. Yeah. Um, you, you take three characters into a dungeon... It's a ta technically a tactical game. You can only move one character per round, um, and you have to pay very close attention to line of sight mm. and um, and cover basically, because the the AI um, the AI is played straight. If the monster cannot actually see you from where you are, it walks right by you. <laughs> so. Unfortunately, that one was a Game Boy Color game published in 2000. 
So that was never going to happen. Yeah. Uh, yep. Oh, that one actually got published. <laughs> um, let's see, Mark of the Mermaid, the the Call of Cthulhu strategy RPG from Japan. <laughs> what? That's fine. Everything's I, fine. I'm, I'm not. I'm not even joking here. So the game starts off with four of your characters crash landing onto a small island in the Pacific, South Pacific. That turns out to be the last remaining bit of Erlie, um rising above the depths. And uh, some um, a crazy cultist is trying to bring the native population back into the one true faith of Cthulhu. One of the other characters that you pick up along the way is a grad student from Miskatonic University. <laughs> Um, your girlfriend is slowly turning into a deep one. And the secret huh. final boss is a star spawn. Oh, that's good. Everything is fine. Yeah. Is it? We will not accept the uh, concept that the great old ones that are coming for us are a bad thing. Let's see. Sagashini Iko, y'all. That one was like a children's level or a, like an elementary school D&D adventure, basically. Uh, what else? Sergeant Frog RPG. Well, what is that? Sergeant Frog RPG was made by Tales Studio. Huh. Oh, I remember it this. Is, <laughs> yeah, it is basically Tales of Batrachian um, or Tales of Frog. Huh. It's, again, much better than it has any right to be. <laughs> Summon Knight X, very good. Tactics Layer, that was the cosplay tactical RPG. That's fine. Yeah. That's, that's a solid start here. Yeah. Um, there's the, let's see, the Chinese-produced Kung Fu RPG that I played. Yeah, there are way too many good games out there. Yeah, more yeah. than can fit in a human lifetime. Oh, I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> I respect that. Yeah, I I know that we are or RP Gamer is like the only coverage for some of these games in English <laughs> and possibly in Japanese in a few cases. <laughs> so. Oh, and of course, the title I gave for the mountain climbing RPG. What was that? Because it was there. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. But, yeah. I played it because it was there. <laughs> that that, was, the one, because that okay. was the one with the gameplay similar to Ogre Battle. It's about Except, mountain climbing? <laughs> yes, you were climbing a mountain and fighting... Fighting off uh, monsters that were like the personification of like anoxia or avalanches or what? crevices. It's getting um, really abstract really fast. <laughs> oh, I mean, and plus then there were the undead mountain climbers and frozen spirits that you had to fight. And the boss was the 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 peak of the mountain was the the actual boss. <laughs> 
and they would they would I mean the boss would do things like fire off snow ballistic missiles at you. Yeah, I I want I'm to play this game. I'm completely <laughs> speechless in response to the concept of that. Yes, I mean it had absolutely no story. It was part of the simple 1500 series. I mean, it was... Oh. Yeah. That's a, that's a thing that it's tragic to see the downfall of, the simple 1500 and 2000 series. Yeah. I guess its most lasting legacy, at least among English speakers, is... Oh, that's where the uh, Earth Defense Force came from. Yeah, that one and Onechambara. Oh yeah, Onechambara was uh, that as well. Yeah. Well, th- those two series... I, if I remember right, they were actually produced independently, but then they almost fell through, and then Simple 1500 series backers picked them up and published them that way. That sounds about right. Yeah. Because I can tell you, most games that were produced that way were not nearly up to that level of quality. I still love like some of the weird... Uh, like When I look at lists of simple 1500 and 2000 games and it's just like this is a strange set of like offshoot brands like here's the simple 2000 hello kitty series <laughs> yeah hello kitty starlight puzzle but yeah the uh the company that made for example earth defense force sandlot has made a lot of really interesting weird games that probably can't get funding for anymore yeah Remember, but hey, I'm, they made a really fine giant robo game for the PS2. Which one? Uh, I think it was the one based on the uh, 2004 anime. Uh. But it was basically them taking the robot alchemic drive uh, engine and sort of making that even more so for to make it more Tetsujin style. In conclusion, go. Yeah. In conclusion, Undertale. Why did no one tell me? Why did no one tell me it was good? I hate you so much. Like with every, (laughs) with every ounce of passion that I can contain. This is one of those. One of those scores that doesn't live up to the game, like, makes it clear the game doesn't live up to its own insanity, but at the same time, you can kind of forgive it, because it was only supposed to be sold for 15 bucks. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, like Cave Story. (laughs) Of course, I played that one for free in the original version. Yeah, it's a a good, uh... It's a very good, like, freeware bit bit of goodness. Mm Mm-hmm. Another oh, game I haven't didn't really play until recently. I kept yelling at you, man. I kept telling you. Apparently, I had a thing against indie games. <laughs> I didn't realize you were that hateful towards indie games. No, and then what changed it was, oh hey, I miss platformers. Oh hey, there's a bunch. This is the only one. These are the only people that make them now. Yeah. Though, though again, I did manage to get Shanti on 3DS after they ported it over. Hmm. Uh, that does remind me. There's another like there's a Shantae Half Genie Hero expansion that's just about to come out. Oh sweet! Yeah, though I didn't realize until I saw it in Japanese that her name is apparently pronounced Shanty. 
Like the, like the just... sailor song. Oh. Yeah, I suppose that makes sense. And, and judging from the comments on some of the, the uh, speedrun YouTube videos, a lot of the people watching these videos apparently think her name is pronounced Shantae as well. It seems like the only pronunciation I've ever heard anyone use, so I think that's why. That's, that's it's, the one yeah. I always used until I actually saw it written in Katakana. I think yeah. it's the A-E at the end that really... Uh, yeah, that doesn't. Yeah. That's not a sound that ends up sounding like E very often in English, so... Yeah. So I'm kind of wishing they'd brought Half-Genie Hero over to 3DS, because now I'm just going to have to eventually break down and get it on Steam. Yeah, I think, like, otherwise you're just going to have to, like, pick it up on PS4 or Switch. Which I don't have either of those. Yeah. yeah. It would make a good portable game. I need to pick up the Switch version. <laughs> well, go going back again to advertising and video games. Um, in this case, cross-media stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, this one old Game Boy Advance game I played called Choco Vader. <laughs> which was which was based off of a series of collectible cards and chocolate. Oh. Wow. I pictured, yeah, so you, I pictured buy, Darth Vader riding a chocobo, so that's something entirely That would different. also be good. <laughs> no, no, it was um, like a turn-of-the-century thing that Namco did where they had these pack little cheap packaged chocolates with collector co collector's cards, like the old Monster in My Pocket cards. Oh. And... Um, and each one was about some sort of alien visitation or sighting in the 20th century. Interesting. And they made a Game Boy Advanced RPG based on this. <laughs> well then. And um, it graphically was pretty similar to the, the old Mega Man Battle Network stuff. Huh. But um, the index for aliens in that game was like a almost definitive list of every single sighting in the 20th century. <laughs> And even better, um, the collectible cards with the chocolate included pa um, like passwords to unlock special versions of aliens that you could recruit. Well. Yeah. That sounds really cool. Oh yeah, th this is the game that decided to put crop circles in the school um, school athletic field. I mean, it got really. Um, the I, I kid you not. The final boss was an activated face of Mars that turned out to be a super weapon. I'm all about this. <laughs> and um, the same the same civilization that created the face of Mars as an as an offensive weapon created a defensive artifact that turned out to be the Great Period of Giza. Great Pyramid of Giza. <laughs> oh. So yes. So after they managed to activate the grit the Great Pyramid, the hero has to go out on a rocket and fight the face of Mars in space. That face isn't going to look so pretty after this. Yeah. It's, yeah. <sighs> yes. Okay, so question to the audience in case anyone besides Budai would like to comment. Um, so, what games do you wish came over? Hmm. Seriously, because, I mean, anybody, any fan who looks at stuff, they will always find something that's like, that is so awesome, why couldn't we get that? So I'm reminded of the uh, period where 
back in the PS1 era, Sony had like their PlayStation Underground discs that they would send out, and one of the things they would do is that they would put in like demos of Japan-only games. And they tended to pr- pull out some really like fun, weird ones. I remember spending a lot of time playing the demo of Ore no Ryori, which was a PS1 cooking game. <laughs> <laughs> like, it was one of the only games I'd ever seen that used both analog sticks on the PS1, and you basically, like, it was all about, like, you timed it out so that you would get things done before your customer got angry, but you had to make sure that, like, if two people ordered the same thing, you would make it in one batch, and so, like, it was easier to keep track of if you were, like, triaging the orders properly, and, like, you would have many games of, like, passing out checks or stomping on roaches or chasing, like, people that tried to run away with uh, without paying. Uh, it's a really neat little game that I wish had come out in English. I seem to remember that Magical Vacation actually got a, like, a page in Nintendo Power one time back in 2000. Yeah, Magical yeah. Vacation was definitely announced for English release, and we just never got it. Yeah. That's a shame, because the sequel was not very good. Oh, I loved the sequel. Did you? Um, oh, yeah. I couldn't get into it. Yeah. That's one of, like, I mean, five Brownie Brown games. Yeah, I mean, that. I mean, though a lot of times I find that if I really like the Japanese version and nobody liked the American version, half the time it's the localization that <laughs> Man, Brownie Brown's list of games since, like... The early DS era gets kind of sad. Yeah. Blue Dragon Plus. Yeah, I, I, I ignore that section. Um, I I like Sword of Mana. It was nice. Legend of Mana. That was insane. Um, it's a beautiful game. Magical Vacation One and Two. Loved them. Um, Eglia. I wish. I'm kind of wishing I could try that one just to see what it's like. Eglia. I've heard decent things about. I mean, I just I just saw an ad for it one day in the magazine. I'm like, that looks like Brownie Brown. Check. Well, yes, it is. I'm gonna have to check it out. Oh well, what do you know? Yeah. Brownie Brown's got a very sort of distinctive style. It's kind of interesting. Yes, it does. But uh, yeah, I I. There's, there's a lot of stuff like that. I remember uh, one of the last uh, import demos they did was in the PS2 era. It was a weird 2.5D action game called Chain Dive that was pretty good. Mm-hmm. That's, that's another of those just like, man, that would have been neat to see come over. You got any whales? Yeah, the um, Dragon Quest VIII mystery dungeon game still... Oh, Yangus. still burned. We never got that. Yeah, young Yangus. Shonen Yangus. Shonen Yangus. <laughs> it's usually a crapshoot if we get any of the mystery dungeon games anyway. And yeah. it's really, it's really arbitrary. I hear they just added Shiren to the uh, to the uh, American developed uh, rhythm roguelike uh, necro dancer. Really? Cool. Yeah. I have to check that out because I just picked that up on. Uh, Vita on PS4 recently. Let's see. Why it was on sale. Okay, yeah. Apparently it now has... It was announced to be getting... Uh, Danganronpa and Shiren the Wanderer skins in it. That's bizarre. I guess, Spike Chun, I guess Spike Chunsoft must be publishing it in Japan or something. Oh, uh, yeah. That makes sense. 
Yeah, with like, it seems almost entirely random whether we get any given mystery dungeon game. It's just yeah. like, was someone paying attention at the moment? How difficult is the license to work with? Yeah, I think. And on that same note, uh, there's some more DS sharing games I wish we got because the. Uh... I think the Vita one is Sharon Five. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, I mean, they remade so many of them. Yeah, it's actually it's, a, a remake. It's hard of to a, keep track. It's a remake of a 3DS game, the Vita one. That's even weirder. Yeah, but <laughs> that an actual remake or just a port? Because a uh, lot of the yeah, you're I mean, right. There's a lot of cross-platform stuff with that. Yeah, too. you're right. It's just a port. That's just super weird because it's like we only got one version. It was the Vita version. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Wheels, you have a Japanese 3DS, right? Yes. Well, if you ever want to just send some money my way, I will be happy to oblige. Sure. So, with a, um, standard postage for 3DS games is about five bucks from here. Not too bad. That's not too bad. Yeah, um, for one week delivery to America, it's pretty good. Bet you can mm-hmm. find me a cheap copy of uh, Yokai Watch 3. Um, actually, yeah, probably. Um, I mean, those games tend to depreciate pretty quickly because just so many are sold. Yeah. And yeah. they sold back. So, yeah. I could probably check it out. Any particular version? Um, hmm. Or do you not care as long as it has Malder and Cully, the ag- secret uh, FBI agents of yeah. the Wi-Fi? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That name, that set of names. <laughs> well, I have no idea what the actual, what the actual names are in English. It's just um, for the Japanese, it's definitely Maruda for the Mulder, and then Scully was ju- was actually changed to Kukuli, which I think is just is awful in English. So I just just cha- shortened it to Cully. Yeah, I'm not even sure if we've got a confirmation those are coming to the West. No, we're it's getting because it's set in the U.S. We're getting the second version of 2. That might ironically make it harder just because it's just like, oh, there's a bunch of stuff here that we have to, like, think about how it works. Now that we're not pretending it's in America, it actually just is. (laughs) (laughs) Part of me feels like... They actually pretended it was set in America for the first two games? I I don't know if they pretended it was set in America, but they gave everyone American names, I think. I think it's kind How of. Are they playing Kumamon in the second game? I mean, my my prefecture's mascot appears in the second game. <laughs> Speaking of advertising in video games, yes. <laughs> of course, it's not very difficult to get Kumamon into anything. All you have to do is fill out a form at the for the prefecture, and they say, "Okay, sure." Players can choose to play as either a boy, Nate, or a girl, Katie. Yeah, I'm guessing those weren't those their names in Japanese. Nope. Just like how the hero of the Pokemon anime is not named Satoshi in English. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to remember, like, from my time with the games, I don't think they're... I don't remember, like, any specific reference of where the games actually take place, other than, like, the name of the town. But, I mean, when you play... When you play two, it's definitely much more clear that it's in Japan. <laughs> you just changed everyone's names. Yeah. It does make me realize that I kind of like there. 
Like, as a tremendous Ace Attorney fan, there is a part of me that wants to own physical copies of 5 and 6, and I might end up breaking and buying them eventually. Because they, they could never really justify bringing those out in, as physical cartridges in America. Even with even with Phoenix Wright appearing in Project Cross Zone 2? Nope. We got physical copies of Cross Zone 2, though, for some reason. <laughs> Speaking of games that I am absolutely amazed ever left Japan. <laughs> I feel like one of the all-time champions for that is still Tatsunoko versus Capcom. Did that one actually get released? Yeah, the- there is an American version of Tatsunoko versus Capcom. They only had to cut out one character. Wow. And they added, like, five new characters for each side. Well, the thing with Project Crossin is you can't actually eliminate any of the characters because of the way it's made. Yeah. Like, I think... And- and Project in that Cross case, had, I mean, pro- they they had Bruce Willis in Project Cross Zone one. <laughs> yeah, that was really good. Let's just bring in Dynamite Decca. What do you mean he was? Uh, what do you mean he's basically the same character as John McClane? Get out. <laughs> Not basically. I mean, he was John McClane in the American version. Yeah, man, I <laughs> love Die Hard Arcade. It's like my favorite beat 'em up. And the character portrait they gave him in the in Project Cross Zone was Bruce Willis. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's really good. I mean, I mean it was... It, I mean, you couldn't even claim it as parody. It was. It looked like they took a photo of Willis and put it through one of those cartoon filters. Like, it's, the sort, it's weird because it's the sort of thing that Metal Gear very specifically, like Metal Gear 2 specifically, had to redraw all of its character portraits for the cell phone port to make sure that, like, oh, all of these are just, like, a guy drew over... A uh, drew over a picture of Sean Connery or like Kurt Russell or whoever, mm-hmm. but it was fine. Everything was fine. But still, my one biggest disappointment with Project Crossdown was that if you're going to include Ulala from Space Channel, whatever, space you need to have Chapa. Space Michael. <laughs> the lack of Space Michael really is just depressing. Yeah. Though that would have almost certainly been impossible to do. I'm just at this point. I'm just trying to work out how many Project Cross Zone game, like actual primary characters, games hadn't come out in English. Like the character, the, the original characters debuted in Namco X Capcom, so like their, uh, like theirs hadn't. Yes, but at the same time, Alice and Xiaomu did appear in um, Endless Frontier, so they have appeared in English. Oh, true, true. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, and, so, tech- and so did the two Endless Frontier for main characters. <laughs> yep. I like how the Endless Frontier characters are... Uh, the Endless Frontier characters, I believe, are Super Robot Wars original generation canon characters now. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean the the hero from, um, from Endless Frontier is like the son of one of the OG saga characters. It's super weird, it's super weird. Yeah, it gets, it gets weirder when they bring in, what's his face, Sheen, uh, Gene, um, Sheen or Gene? The, uh, Shun, oh, oh, what's his face... Oh, I can't even remember him, and he was the villain of the last Super Robot Wars game I played, and he shows up in Exceed. Endless Frontier Exceed. Shirakawa... Shit, no. Cricket stripping. Nobody remembers. Okay, so one of the major villains from Original Generation, and his very strange and overpowered sort of artificial girlfriend show up in Endless Frontier Exceed with Amnesia. 
which they, they recovered, like, which they recovered okay. from over the course of the game. And he has some interesting things to say about um, the hero of Endless Frontiers' given name and possible origins. But then he has to go back and um, actually do original generation three. So he, he has to leave and do that. And then apparently die in the intermission of uh, Maso Kishin 1. <laughs> Which that yeah. is still the stupidest thing I have seen in a long time in a video game when you put three, actually, literally three and a half games worth of story into one intermission chapter. The first Just half bizarre. of Maso Kishin and the second half of Maso Kishin are two different games separated by the OG trilogy. What? It's, yeah, yeah. What? I am not, I am not <laughs> exaggerating here. I think post-second OG, they've finally like moved on to a point in OG where the Maso Kishin games have already happened. Yeah. I think. <laughs> I'm just like, how much of chapter 25 of that game existed in the original version when it's referencing stuff that happened on PlayStation period games? The answer is probably not a lot, and they probably just stopped the game at blows up the city with a nuke point. It's pretty bad. That's, that's a pretty easy way to end things. I would have stopped the game. <laughs> <sighs> Okay. So, talking about two hours now. Do we have anything else, or do we just keep rambling? I think we're mostly rambling at this stage. Yeah. <laughs> rambling for almost an hour now. I'm not. That's fine. I'm having fun, but I think <laughs> it must be one. What time is it over there? Uh, for wheels, just about one. Twelve forty. Yes, you guys sound like you need to sleep. <laughs> yeah, I, it's actually only like 9.45 for me. It's yeah. just that I was, uh, as mentioned, up until like 5 last night. Yeah, and I should probably get some sleep at some point. Maybe, eventually. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we'll start wrapping this up. Um, so you doing anything interesting on the site you want to share before we start closing this thing out? No, just need to write a few reviews and or an editorial or three. Or three. <laughs> yeah, because the the discussion of time limits in the new atelier. Um, oh yeah, I saw that discussion. I saw you yeah, uh, talking about I, that. <laughs> uh, if you want to discuss a bit more, I can discuss a bit more on this one. Sure. Okay. Um, it's like I I understand why a lot of people really hate time limits, but at the same time, in for most of the atelier series, there were no bosses. There was no overarching plot. There was no villain. And the time limits were how you introduced risk and um, difficulty into the game. Mm -hmm. And there are some, some parts of the more recent games of the series where I really wish they had kept the time limits, at least for the job requests, in order yeah. to retain some of that difficulty level and to encourage the developers to balance out the request list a little better. <laughs> because, I mean, at the end of Sophie, I was stuck with three 
requests requests on my active jobs list that I could not afford to buy the rumor to activate the sub-event, the limited time sub-event in one corner of the map that would let me gather the materials necessary to make the materials necessary to make another material necessary to make it. <laughs> this is getting really complicated. No, it's fine. It's fine. It's yeah. really fine. And, and this is the reason why I docked the game for balance issues. So, yeah. I'm not looking forward to trying um, uh, Atelier Phyllis when it comes out on Steam. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, that was the weird thing about um, uh, what was not the most recent one, but the one before that. Sophie. Sophie, yeah. So when I when I played it, you know, I I on one hand I did like kind of the free flowing nature of it because there, like I said, there's no time limits, but it does. I don't know if it, just in general feels kind of aimless. Yeah, I mean, Atelier Judy had a similar problem. It had the same um, infinite calendar going on, yeah. but it actually had it had a definite winning condition as well. I mean, from the very beginning of the game, you knew you were trying to recreate this artifact so that Judy could return home. Hmm. From the very beginning, and it just it was not very good in uh, uh, allowing the or the player was kind of left to their own devices to figure out how to do this. And they left a little too much to their own devices. Mm. But at the same time, that was a game that had time limits on all the requests, and it worked quite well for it. It also allowed like eight requests instead of six at a time. <laughs> so. Yeah, that was kind of the thing that even even drew me into the series. Like playing Rorona, just the time. I actually liked the time limits, even though I think they were probably a, a little oppressive in that game. But yeah. it, it it kept like the it kept the forward momentum of things going. Like would eventually just stop would stop me from playing Sophie and I haven't played it in a while, I haven't finished it yet. Uh was just like I didn't know what to do. <laughs> I don't really yeah. know what I should be doing. Yeah. Yes, yeah, Sophie, a different issue I had was um, I'm so used to just barreling along on these games, because, again, because of time limits. Right. I ended up advancing the, the main plot a lot faster than a lot of the side plots. Ooh. So, so I was getting into the end game without certain items available yet because I had not activated, or I had not activated the flags for certain side stories that would allow me to access the item <laughs> or, the, or the recipe. So that was an issue. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised uh, if that ha that happened to a lot of people because I'm sure there's many many that you know like just want to advance the plot and see more of the story and not necessarily wander around and do lots of side quests. So if anybody's reading my review of Sophie and wonders what I'm talking about with unbalanced final boss difficulty, that's the primary reason. Is the fact that I could blast my way through most of the mobs in the final level, but still not have the materials needed to make the make armor that would allow me to survive the final boss for more than two rounds. <laughs> but, okay, make that technically, five of my characters did not survive the first round. Oh, wow. Or, oh, no, three of my... Uh, that one doesn't allow you to solve my characters. Th 
three of my characters did not survive the first round. The second one didn't get a hit in on the second round. The first time I fought him. So that took a lot of that took a lot of leveling stuff to get them up to the point where we could do this properly. But yeah, going back to time limits, um, it's like a couple of. I mean, some of the games in the series did really well with just incorporating it into the way. I mean, the even the plot. Like Atelier Ellie, she was a student at the school for five years, and so. I mean, she had final exams every year that she had to prepare for. And part of um, part of the gating on that game was, can I finish the items I need for the homework? Mm. And then you have a game like Eschatology, where the two main characters are civil servants, and they have to make quarterly reports. And again, the... I mean... There's a time. There are time limits involved, and it works into the job that they have to do. So, but yeah, it just it it really varies um, in how they apply the time limits, how they extra, how they design the just the calendar system in general, and. It's actually it's one of the more interesting ways that the games vary from one another. Yeah, I do like that they don't just um, kind of spit out the same game year after year. Even if there's like small, subtle changes, they always seem to be lots of little differences between the games. I mean, in the six-year period, we got Rorona Totori, Meruru, Ground of Dust, I mean, Aisha... Eschatology and Shally. And are any of those games thematically or even sometimes visually like one another? No. <laughs> Not really, no. No. I mean, some of that was definitely them getting better at uh, working in with 3D graphics, I think. But, I mean, even then... I mean, they released a, a version of Rorona with the improved graphics. Uh, it's two versions, actually. Um, but I was thinking, like, Rorona is very much a callback to Marie, the first game, in its organization. Whereas Totori is all about the, ex um, much more about expansion and exploration, and Meru has the, the kingdom building subplot. And then you have, then you get the Dusk series, which is post-apocalyptic. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the one I really want to get to. Yeah, and so Aisha, the the time limit is you have approximately this much time before saving your little sister becomes impossible. So, um, and then eschatology, where the two main characters are civil servants trying to improve the quality of life in their region, <laughs> despite the fact that the actual environment itself seems to be hell bent on destroying itself. <laughs> gets really interesting towards the end. And then you have Shally, where they're in a different quarter, corner of the same world that has completely desertified except for one particular spot where there's still water. And That's you're fun. trying to figure out why. So. Everything's and good in the desert. 
And I really wish they'd actually broken tradition and made a fourth game in that series because there was so much room for it. But, okay. Everyone does seem... This is why I really want to play that that trilogy, because everyone seems to think it's, I don't know, the best trilogy in the series? Or at least one of the best, for sure. It, it's it's one of those... It's the series, or the sub-series that managed to hit most of the high points for all of the possible um, player demographics that like the series. Hmm. It's like it had... I mean, not as much as Shally, but... Like, Aisha had a much stronger um, item management for people who like that part. They, all three of them had a much stronger focus on combat and story. And they were generally much better organized than, um, than Rorona or Sophie, for example. I think once I finish Sophie, I'm just going to jump into that sub-series. Do it. <laughs> Do it. I have them all, so... You have no excuse. No. No, no. I even have the Vita version, so... Even less excuse. I mean, comparing all the games together, Sophie is very much a throwback to the the first PlayStation 2 series, or part of the series, with a lot of the same issues. Hmm. It's just not nearly as broken as Lily was. So... But they didn't, I mean, yeah, that has too many of the issues from the PlayStation 2 period and none of the fixes. So, I was hoping that Phyllis would fix a lot of that, but it didn't. So, now we have to hope for the third one. Yep. Which seems to be doubling down on the pastel girliness. That seems to be the hallmark of the mysterious subseries, is pastel girliness. (laughs) We shall see. Perhaps. Okay, well, I, I think we should probably let Wheels sleep. He did. <laughs> Be sure to send some comment and also to, I don't know, tweet at me or Wheels if that's how you really want to do things. Does anybody actually tweet at you? Uh, very occasionally. Very occasionally? Very occasionally. Yeah, so you can... <laughs> yes, uh, did you say my Twitter? No, I didn't say anyone's okay. Twitter. I just my, said you can tweet at us. <laughs> my Twitter is at uh, AskWheels. Dave is FanboyMaster. Gaijin does not exist on social media. He made the right choice. <laughs> he is the smartest of us all. The only one with self-preservation instincts. Uh and we will be recording another episode next week because the week after that is Destiny 2 release and combined with the release this week of Monster Hunter on the Switch I will be severely distracted we also will basically be I will have to go through a great deal of summoning rituals to get him to ever record an episode again yes <laughs> so uh, please get your question in, questions in as soon as possible before the next episode important. I am, in fact, playing the demo of Monster Hunter Switch. As we I hate you so much. <laughs> it looks so nice on the screen. I'm sure. I'm sure. 
But yes, we will see you next mission.